0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Fantasy Animation Research Network. Whether you are a fan, a writer, a director, an animator, or a scholar, Fantasy Animation seeks to bring like-minded people together to talk about the relationship between overlapping media, mediums, and genres. For more information, visit fantasy-animation.org. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holiday,
0: and me, Alex Sargent.
1: So we are we've pitched up our proverbial tent in feudal Japan, um, not literally, but we have taken a journey to the kind of medieval era, and we are looking at a particular stop motion film. That we, I mean, stop motion is something we've we've sort of looked at, but this is our first sort of intense look at uh, a three D stop motion fantasy film, Kubo and the Two Strings, um, directed and produced by Travis Knight from a couple of years ago, twenty sixteen. So, we've got a lot to talk about. I think in terms of its status as fantasy, it was a film that we were coming to fresh. Neither of us had seen it. I think that's right. That's fair. So. Yeah, I, and we watched it a matter of uh, of hours ago. So we're trying to think through and, and, I guess, clarify our thoughts as to how it fits within the relationship to fantasy animation. I think the podcast is becoming increasingly... We've got some movies, and it'd be interesting to see where they perhaps dovetail or not with some of the ideas that we've got we've got circulating. So, yeah, we've got a lot to say about... Uh, I felt from my perspective, I think the tried-and-tested and, tested and uh, I guess, idea that the film is... An animated fantasy, but what does the fantasy? How does the fantasy work in the film? What's the medium of animation doing in the film? Uh, we'll talk a bit about the Laker Studio. This is a, um, a an example of a of a stop motion animated film that's produced by a studio that's getting quite a, a international reputation. Laker, uh, fantasy wise, Alex, what have we got?
0: Well, uh, I think. I have my impossible question already for you before we start. Here. I
1: mean, we're, we are um, <laughs> I'll, I'll <have> some <laughs> two less, minutes in, I'll have, le-
0: I'll have some less impossible questions in terms of who the hell are like her, uh and right. what is 3D stop motion as we get through the podcast. But, but starting with fantasy, I guess, my impossible question for us both to tackle this week, Chris, is how do we talk about um, a film for the length of one of these podcasts that is about a boy who tells stories featuring magical creatures and whose principal magical power is his ability to make inanimate objects move and come to life in front of everyone for their viewing pleasure. How do we talk about that film and not say that it's about fantasy or about animation?
1: Of all the impossible questions that you have asked and will continue to ask me yeah. on,
0: what is becoming a regular feature of <laughs> now, this? I'm going to get podcast. a jingle. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, well, <laughs> quite. Um, I, I, I don't think you can talk about this film mm-hmm. without talking about its status as animation. We've touched on this at various points throughout the, the last few episodes. And we
0: keep trying to put it to bed. but every time, But every time we try, we watch another film where it's just... It's so. I mean, like the word we're using is self-reflexive, but the more we say that sentence, the more I don't quite understand what it means anymore. Yeah. Um, we 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 say a lot of these films are self-reflexive in that they are about the thing that they are, but I guess all things are about the thing they are, right? Uh, it's sort of becoming one of these postmodern phrases that I'm sort of starting to think I don't know what it means anymore.
1: Maybe it maybe it's post-reflexive. There, I've said it. I don't know what that is. No, me neither. Um, so. <laughs> But we're using it, so it's post-reflexive. There is something about the film that is a sort of reflexive take on animation, but maybe reflexivity is the wrong word. I think what is interesting is that it is very specific in its reference points to object animation, or Mm three-dimensional object animation. Um, But all the way through, all my notes were sort of... You know, they they were about forms of illusionism and about the media that is sort of representing itself... Uh, I wrote a bit about a skeleton at one point, point, so and that ho- will hopefully um, call back to some of the things we talked about when we talked about Jason the Argonauts, which was itself a callback to some of the things we talked about when we were talking about Disney and when we mentioned the skeleton dance. What is it about skeletons? There's something about life and the inanimate and the illusion of life and the imparting of life, the role of the animator and the surrogate animator that is all coming together, more so, I think, in this film than any of the films that we've talked about. It's very explicit, I think, in its identity as as an animated feature.
0: And it, and it has this central protagonist who is a storyteller and yes. it, and there's lots of reframes within the movie where characters continually say what should we change? What should we alter? What should we make magical? Yes. What what lies do we have to tell to get at deeper truths? I need to tell a story in order to reveal the truth behind something. Uh, so it's it's very difficult to avoid these kind of meaningless catchphrases when you are presented with a film like this that seems, if any of them, the most uh, yeah uh, explicitly interested in its own subject matter, uh, like like this. But it just it does sort of pose a sort of broader sort of I don't know aesthetic question, which is like, how can... What is self-reflexive art when we see it? Because, like, is a door self-reflexive? Can you have a window that comments on itself whilst mm. it is a window? Or is it just art that can have these qualities? Or is it... Uh, and what is self-reflexive art when we see it? Does it have to be art that winks at you? Art that talks about art? It's... um. It is losing all meaning in my head. and It's not just because it's six o'clock and I've had not enough or too much coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, um. I would
1: say that it's not... The film is not... <laughs> There are many registers, I think, of anti-illusionism or self-reflexivity and and these kinds of ideas. This is not a film that is deconstructive. It's not deconstructing the premises of its own construction. It's not the a hand isn't coming in uh-huh. and move like it's not deconstructive in that way. This isn't
0: disenchantment uh, again. No,
1: it's not. It's not a, a gesture to the act of artificial creation. But what it is. Uh, what it well, what it seems to be about is the magic of a good story, yeah, and actually the magic of a, a well-told story yep. that is used in the film or articulated in the film through animation. It's interesting that the director himself, so the director um, Travis Knight, his upcoming, or depending on when you're listening to this, highly successful film that's been out for a long time, uh, film is Bumblebee, uh, and so which is a kind is of that the Transformers. Thing? Yeah, it's a kind of science fiction offshoot of the transformers now but it's it sort of takes the idea of sentient creatures or in this case uh uh, i think it's a a citron or a a, a citron 2cv or a certain kind of car that is um transformed into uh, i guess a sentient kind of creature in the style of the transformers so it's the first spin-off if you like of transformers and it's and so i'm it's very risky, I think. What's very interesting to think about movies that are about sentience as automatically being about animation. Maybe they're maybe they're not about animation. They're about sentience. In the case of Kubo and the Two Strings, it seems to be about homespun craft, or it seems to be about uh, the importance of handiwork and making. I think there's a lot of stuff in the film. Maybe it's not about animation at all. But it's about making. It's about the the magic of making things. Um, so, yeah, I don't, again, I, we saw the film relatively recently for the first time, and we're still, I think, both digesting it. But hopefully, in 45 minutes' time, it'll be crystal clear.
0: It'll be nice and digested.
1: Yes. So, we should start, we should begin, well, we should begin at the beginning. Um, so, it's Laker. So, Laker, the yeah, fourth.
0: Who are Laker. So, Laker, this is
1: the fourth feature film that the studio have produced. They are a studio that, like so many studios, I think, today. Interestingly, are being are, are carving out a, a kind of career or carving out a, a group of movies with a particular medium. Pixar are very synonymous with computer animation. DreamWorks now are very synonymous with with computer animation, um, in the way that Disney historically have been associated with cell animation. In the case of uh, Laker, Leica. See,
0: now I was about to say I would say Leica like until you okay. started saying no, Leica, and then I... I got confused and thought I'm going to follow what Chris says because I pronounce things badly. Let's put it that way.
1: Uh, brackets C Studio Ghibli. <laughs> uh, I would also I mean Laika Laika I'm going to go okay I'll go Laika 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 Leica. I like it a lot. Laika Laika An American stop motion animation studio. So this is a studio that is specializing in specific a specific medium. So um, it's worked so far Coraline which, if you're interested, uh, we have a post on the fancy animation blog about Coraline and horror, and so we've got Coraline, Paranorman, um, the Box Trolls, and then Kubo. So not a, 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 an extensive corpus by any means, but actually there are some interesting parallels I think between Kubo and, and Coraline in terms of the idea of being able to see. Uh, spectatorship. Uh-huh. So Coraline, Paranorman, Bachstolz, Kubo, and the Two Strings. So this one is the,
0: the villains in this piece also kind of struck me as being very um, Coraline-ish. In the, the, the sort of the two weird sisters, weird with a sort of Y-esque, uh, you know. Yeah, words. there's
1: there's something there's something about Leica, Leica that are interested in the monstrosity of family, um, and so obviously this is played out in Coraline. Through
0: whilst the... was this actually you say that, although th- I would say this film also is a step in a different direction from those earlier movies um, in that actually this is a film about the you know this sounds so uh, trite but like it's about the love of family and the importance of family and I would argue there is a reading that this movie is, is essentially a prolonged meditation on grief yes and the stories that one tells oneself to uh Work to deal, through to yeah. work through grief. Yeah. And there's
1: something very traumatic. and actually my, my we'll get to the end.
0: But the final shot We is, will get to the end when we get to the end. Yeah, yeah. But, but right we, now we're at the beginning. Yeah, so let's but, stay there. No, we
1: are gonna we are, but what I'm gonna say is what I'm gonna tantalize, I'm gonna I'm gonna show but not tell. Sure. I'm gonna dangle the carrot yeah. and simply say that there is something about the final shot that is both heartening mm. as it's the reunification of family, but also something deeply troubling given the nature of what we're actually seeing. Um, so Consider the carrot dangled, let's go back to the beginning. Sure. So, okay. as I said, we're in feudal Japan, the protagonist is the... No, 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 no. we've got to go back before oh, we've got to go back in.
0: we got to get to Leica. Like yeah, okay. And who, who, so they're this studio. Yes, they, they are, sorry, movies. sorry, sorry, yes. So, right, you're you're telling a story within a story. I am. This podcast is a series of unfolding her. narratives, each speaking to one another as we move throughout the worlds.
1: It's web-like, it's web-like rather yeah, if than this linear.
0: Inception, we'd kick the dream further down. Um, yeah. So, Lika are a studio. They make these uh, stop motion films. Yes. Most of them so far have been quite sort of horror uh, esque. Horror um, oriented, or I would least, say. Definitely. Or at least gothic. Yeah. yeah? yeah. This one's sort of a step into sort of a more epic fantasy model. Mm. Um, how do this? What What's their process then? What What you say? Three D stop motion at the beginning of this podcast. Yes, I did. Well, what is that? And And how can I understand it?
1: Well, I mean, so three D stop motion or, or, or kind of object animation has. Um, a certain kind of tradition within Eastern Europe, so canonical filmmakers Yeri Trinka, Jan Svankmeier, um that worked with objects and through a frame-by-frame stop-motion process in which um, kind of editing is used to create the illusion of movement and sentience, um, and so you're often seeing rather than cell animation where activity and action is is. Painted onto to cells, the backgrounds remain fixed. This is these are animated films that happen in quote unquote real space, three dimensional real space that is often is accessible to humans. So I can step into the world of a 3D um, stop motion film in the way I can't physically step into the woods in Snow White, right? Um, because it's
0: physically there in a studio. It's somewhere. it's
1: flat and graphic and planar. It's not three dimensional yep. and it, it doesn't kind of have that sort of charge of depth and dimensionality. Right. However. Um, a lot of animation scholars have thought about stop-motion as actually a sort of, in some ways, the fullest real, maybe fullest realisation is a strong word, but the realisation of animation as a medium because what's interesting about stop-motion is that the objects themselves exist in real space, so they are accessible. I can pick up a model of Kubo, the protagonist. Um, I can pick up any of the characters and they exist in my space, the real world, in the way that I can't pick up the kind of painterly images of Snow White or any of the seven men she shacks up with. However, with regards to the sort of object animation or the, the way in which objects are made to m- work and move and, and get get given this life, acquire humanity, um, the way that they do this is that the objects exist in the real world for me to touch, but when I'm watching a stop-motion film, the objects themselves are being created through, through the apparatus or they're being created through the um, possibilities of editing or the possibilities that are engendered by the process of editing and moving objects incrementally frame by frame to create their movement from left to right, forward to back, etc. cetera. Um, so, what is interesting about object animation, and Suzanne Buchan talks about this um, in her work on the Quay brothers, who again are stop motion um, animators. Um, she talks about the quote special powers of animation, and actually, object animation is really interesting because it represents the sort of quintessential idea of the illusion of life. Because these are objects that I can hold and they are tangible, and these are, these are my objects, but through the camera and through the mediating eye of the camera, the apparatus, they can become animated. Because they can be subject to manipulation, um, so I think that's 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 what's interesting. I think about object animation is that any object in the world has the potential to be an animated character or at least be subject to movement. You can you can animate anything in object animation, um, and it doesn't require the skills of draughtsmanship or my my ability to, to draw or or point a mouse at a thing. I can I can take a pen and create a, a
0: narrative out of it. Yeah, and the film sort of. God, here we go again. Film sort of. Plays it's reflexive in, that, right, in a way, isn't, isn't it? It's reflexive, it's post reflexive uh, in a way. There's a particularly wonderful scene where uh, a boat is made out of a series of leaves. Yes. Um, and a uh, lot is made of, of everyday objects becoming more than everyday objects, whether it be pieces of paper or rose petals or, or sort of very mundane things like that, yep. being turned into objects and characters of magic. Yes. Legend and all this kind of stuff. No, so that's, there's, that's
1: there's something around, and we'll talk a bit about kind of origami. So origami being, you know, this is, as I said, this is, this is Japan and this is really telling the story of a, of a young um, boy who has kind of a fractured family. And but very early on, the, his, his ability to manipulate uh, objects is channeled through origami. So he plays music and, and works with origami and, and creates these amazing figures that then themselves have sentience. So it, it gives you the before and after of animation, which is quite interesting, I
0: think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So should we do we should do um some sort of plot synopsis there? So now I guess now we mount now, now we can begin at the beginning. Now yep. we know that the beginning has been established pre-beginning.
1: Yeah. I mean we'll overlook the fact that you did jump ahead and talk about the boat, but that's fine. Um, right. So we'll begin at the beginning. So we have Kubo. So protagonist, um, Early, I think he's 11, 12, something like this. He's he's, um, And that's I think that is really interesting because through the figure of the child, you can act out trauma, which is exactly what you say. It sort of works through grief and, and trauma and memory, and crucially the loss of memory and this sort of generational conflict, stories that are passed down and along and manipulated and retold. So I think the child protagonist is is really interesting and key to understanding the film's discourse of discovery, generally. Mm -hmm. But we're introduced to Kubo actually not visually, but sonically. And actually, I found that really disorientating. The the opening sequence is a a sequence that's set at sea, which is incredible and very impressive. And we're having Kubo announce... Is it Kubo or is it his mum doing it? No, I think it's... I think it's it's Kubo doing the voiceover, but the action
0: on screen is the mother. I thought it was his mum, but I might have misremembered that because yeah, we get this sort of um, epil- uh, epilogue, no pro- uh, prologue, uh, prologue of um, Kubo's origin, I guess, where we yeah. see um, his mother sort of flee an unknown powerful source and get washed up on a beach and yeah. and save her her infant son, um, and we get this sort of recurring refrain which. the the exact phrasing of which I've forgotten but it's something like um, uh, blink now if you must um, as the story begins uh, and the other refrain of believe in what you are told and listen carefully uh, or else the protagonist might come to some doom or something like that So
1: maybe we're we're sort of shortchanging, or or we we need to be nuancing this idea that anti-illusionism, these things are about things. Actually what this the opening sequence is really about the issue of spectatorship. So there's one line that we're introduced to Kubo through voiceover, uh, talking about you know, don't look away. Um, obviously, don't blink. Play, pay, care, play, pay, pay careful attention to everything you see and hear. It's, it's about spectatorship. It's, it's he's he's sort of selling us the idea of fantasy. Buy into the fantasy. This yeah. is what, and um, we don't find out later. We don't find out until later where this comes from. So first of all, we have Kubo's uh, voiceover. We have the action of the mum sort of being shipwrecked and, as it turns out, suffering a degree of kind of mental instability and memory loss. And then we find out later that Kubo's looking after his mother yeah. um, and it's just them two together and they're looking after the, the each other. Uh, and it also turns out that Kubo's himself a master storyteller. Yeah, and, and he,
0: Every day he journeys into the nearby village and tells stories about yeah. a great samurai warrior um, which he tells um both expertly and 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 vividly and again, using all these refrains we've yep. already heard, but also with the power of this sort of magic well guitar, yeah, want uh, of a better word as um um and as he strums the 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 strings of his guitar, just two of them uh, just two strings words come to life uh, and sorry words, and um his words come to life through the sort of objects and bits of paper and origami sort of picking up and, and telling the stories vividly yeah. in front of these these villagemen so, and, and I, actually I think um, it's just struck me now the whole this whole the vitality of storytelling in this thing it's mm. all about the relationship as you say between the storyteller and the person that is being told and it's interesting you invoke spectatorship because I think you're right but I think obviously classic spectatorship in in our field means a certain kind of theory of yeah of audience uh, studies which sort of enforces the passivity of the audience, the rhetorical power of the screen, and it's sort of it's it's the study of how the screen can provoke reactions in the audience. Here, we sort of have a sort of um, a partnership, right? The audience is part of the story and want the story to be told in a certain way, and it's their willingness to participate in the story that makes the story have power. So it's much more communal. It's not yes. a, it's not an authoritative exercise. He tells the story with the cooperation and participation of the people around him. And that becomes a kind of refrain throughout the thing. Good stories in this film are films where people um, are allowed to participate in them. And bad stories are stories that are sort of imposed upon people. And that takes me back actually, because like to fantasy, fantasy's sort of origins as a form of oral storytelling, which is a communal, shared, cooperative, flexible, Mm. organic story form. Fantasy was born in uh, folk tales and in and in conversations and in and in communal activities, not in the sort of uh, writerly prescriptive. I will now write a novel; you will read it exercise that's become far more norm in the sort of last couple of hundred years. So, I, you know, I, 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 extensive riff, but it's just sort of come to me that communal storytelling is very important in this in this film.
1: Yeah, it's it makes me think that it is not just about the sanctity and the um, quality and the legitimacy and the authenticity of the story, per se. So it's not about the legitimacy and the authenticity and the sort of sanctity of the story, per se, what it is. Uh, it's about the role of the audience as participating and actually this is this is at the start when we have a moment of direct address when Kubo's is, is what well, it feels like talking to us it turns out he's talking to another kind of audience but actually he's talking to us uh, and then at various moments in the film that we'll we'll get to it's you know the power of the audience to retell or tell back the story to somebody who might be suffering memory the role of amnesia and how that changes how those characters see themselves. So I guess the question of authoring and the role of the author, mm. the death of the author, um, the role of the author, the, the sort of the way in which these stories are told, retold, and told told back to the people that initially initially told them. Um, we get. I mean, we we've talked a bit about the uh, so we have the sailing accident in which the mother becomes injured and this is the cue that Kubo allow, that allows Kubo to look after his his mother we see scenes of them producing these origami quite unspectacularly they are just producing origami figures and it's only when Kubo then goes to the town square and he has this audience that it becomes a show it becomes a moment of sort of magical spectacle and that's where the animation takes over in some senses so now the objects are performing and that's what they are they're performing objects to their own of their own volition um so we have this we have this um, moment I think what's interesting is that the the issue of memory is is channeled through Kubo Cuba because Kubo's is talking to his mother who can't quite remember the uh, what uh, the end of the story if you like and Kubo himself has this inability to finish his performance so he's playing with all these objects the objects are performing to this audience who are sort of enraptured um, but he can't then tell the, at the end of that story what happens to this warrior because his mother couldn't remember the end. What, what, who is this warrior? What is his relationship to the mother? What is his relationship to Kubo? And that really, the family becomes the centre of then what, where the film goes in terms of, okay, so who are the villains of the piece um, and where's the jeopardy?
0: Which is why the Freudian in me makes me think this <laughs> film is all about trauma. Yes. Um, because uh, the Freudian definition of trauma is a sort of cycle that one is forced to repeat again and again through fantasy until one can work through to a conclusion. Um, stories provide a full stop and an ending, and therefore a sense of concrete meaning. Kubo likes storytelling, but he's not good at. There's the lots ending. of references to
1: ending it, like the, the, the stories have to end. They, they don't have to end, or there's something. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah,
0: so um, for me, like that, that, you know, there is there is this definite uh, thread of an inability to tell a story because one is stuck in the act of telling. Yeah. One doesn't have the back to self reflexively. One doesn't have the distance from the event to be able to. Um, tell you what it means um, so therefore one simply relives the event over and over again and what is Kubo doing with these stories well, he's essentially retelling heroic deeds of his father Yes, uh, his lost father who he's never met but he is told in a story has died um, protecting him and has died um, fighting for him so
1: the first 20 minutes or so of the film
0: are involves establishing a set of connections
1: between characters that are primarily... Vocal or th- through narrative, mm-hmm. so characters are connected by their ability to transfer information through stories. Kubo's never able to finish his story. The mother is struggling to recall mm-hmm. her, her husband, but does remember parts of his identity and is the able most
0: when the stories are being told. Right? And, and yeah. so is
1: able to to tell uh, Kubo at least a bit of information. You know what yeah. was my father like? What he was like? He was just like you. So there's lots of, lots of these sorts of kind of connections. Um, we then find out that the threat involves sis- the, the characters of the sisters mm-hmm. um, Karasu and Washi so two sisters uh, voiced in the film by uh, Rooney Mara in fact the cast is something we'll talk about it's got the Theron, Ray Fiennes, Rooney Mara uh, Matthew McConaughey yeah, yeah, so there yeah. we go, uh, a terrific cast um, and a lot of our, and this is I think the pleasure of star voices in animation more broadly as we were watching the film we were trying to graft voices onto real-life people, so that was quite an enjoyable, enjoyable um, uh, issue, I think. Uh, so we then find out that part of the jeopardy involves Kubo's relationship to sisters, and he's not really allowed to sort of stay out after dark because of the threat of these sort of insidious well, family members who are actually
0: sort of the hench people of his, the main yes. villain, which is his grandfather, yeah. who is the Moon King, the Moon King, uh, the Moon King who basically his motivation is he wants to remove Kubo from the world of people and bring mm. him back up to the world of the heavens um, and the reason he wants to do that is he wants Kubo no longer to have to feel the pain and suffering of of life yeah. um, and I, again you know I I I mean I will bang the drum but there's an, you know so so his grandfather is um, a, represents a world without memory Without suffering and therefore without stories. Yeah. Um, uh, because uh, there is no need for stories when you do not have a beginning or an end. You yeah. just exist in this sort of immortal state of being that is never painful but never painless yeah. either then.
1: Well there's, So there's something about vision because obviously the Moon King, part of his framing as a villain is that he has taken one of... Kubo's eyes, and so he spends the whole film with a with an eye patch. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the sort of the climax is that the Moon King wants to take the other eyes because without the other eye, Kubo is unable to see. And if he cannot see, uh, he cannot peer into the souls of people. And and so there's something yeah about memory. And there's a really terrific set piece where he's sort of fighting. There's a few set pieces actually in the in the film, but one of them uh, involves a sort of confrontation underwater between. Kubo and these sorts of big strange floating eye things that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. peer into so I think this makes me think about you know this idea of spectatorship that it's about it's about illusionism and storytelling and, and watching and being I don't know being taken in by as I said the magic of I was just one of my notes is about reality question mark That's too much but it's certainly about the magic of the magic of stories If you must blink, do it now <gasps> <gasps>
0: careful attention to everything you see and hear no matter how unusual it may seem and please be warned if you fidget if you look away if you forget any part of what i tell you even for an instant then our hero will surely perish it's that time of the episode where we pause the podcast for a second chris okay consider it paused what would you like to talk about this week
1: I think in this week's pausing session, yeah. I would like to talk about iTunes and specifically how uh, listeners can subscribe, or listen, and subscribe to our podcast on uh, iTunes using the App um, Store. Yes,
0: yeah, so I'd like to talk about that too because uh, it's really important for us to build an audience here um, and also to sort of register some level of download, uh, hits, and all that kind of stuff. So cards on the table, we need your help, guys. Really, uh, if you could. Uh, see it within you to go on the iTunes store and subscribe if you're enjoying our podcasts. That would help us to understand how many people are downloading and all that kind of stuff, the various technical IT issues. We can't do that on our website, so actually we prefer it if you could subscribe to our iTunes. And then while you're subscribing, that will mean that you'll get all the future episodes straight automatically downloaded onto your device of whatever description you're using. Uh, While you're doing that, we'd also love it if you could uh, just leave us a quick star rating and perhaps a review. No more than a couple of sentences is fine, but it would really help us because iTunes use that to help. Uh, boost certain podcasts and if we can get a boost we'll get more audience members so if you hypothetically rate this
1: episode in the real world and want to formalise that into some kind of star system then please do um, follow the links on the Fancy Animation website uh, that will take you to the iTunes
0: store uh, and give us a uh, rating so please uh, do that that would really help us and we all now shut up and let you enjoy the show
1: so Next, we have one. I think once the character relationships are established, then we have something or an event in the film that is about the, the present being able to communicate with the past. And actually, this chimes quite nicely with a, a recent film um, that certainly again fits in within the fantasy animation framework, which is Pixar's Coco, which is about sort of celebrating. Um, the Day of the Dead or the Day of the Dead festival. In this case, the festival is uh, a Bond festival, which is a particular custom. A b- Bond festival? A b- if only. But there, <laughs> it, it, it was, yeah, it was from Becudely, 007 AD. In,
0: they all have a massive marathon of, of yeah. Goldfinger followed by octopus Yeah, then there's a title <laughs> sequence, a credit <laughs>
1: sequence. Uh, so, Bond, uh, B-O-N, B-O-N um, is a custom that mm-hmm. honours, celebrates, uh, marks the spirits of, of one's ancestors. So it's it's... It is to feudal Japan what uh, Day of the Dead is to Mexico. Anyway, so this festival allows these these characters uh, in the film to be able to communicate with those who have left us. And part of Kanakubo's kind of, angst is that he cannot he cannot communicate with his his father is somebody who is a specter that looms large over the specter. A little Bond reference for you there. Uh, a specter that looms large over his relationship with his mum and so he cannot communicate with his father and actually that really sets the tone for the whole film is that he's trying to bring together his family who as we will find out are not human but assume other forms
0: communication is really interesting because uh i think i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go down the psychoanalytic rabbit hole today so Pull me back out when it went. When, okay. when, 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 <laughs> when you get a Freud. When you've <laughs> I'm when so you've, sorry. When you've lost. When you've lost me down the quagmire. Sure. But obviously, communication is how we process uh, things consciously. The conscious realm is language, and language is the way in which we make sense of the real. If you want to sort of prize that word from reality real being the sort of yeah. unfiltered abyss of, of existence and the real be, the rea- reality being the sort of partial meaning we take from it And so much of this film is interested in how we can communicate things by representing things without them being the things they are animation so, yeah, so, so animation but like you know there's lots of um, uh, automatons there's lots of yeah. people who aren't the people that you think they are but they are the people you think they are really. Uh, automatons, representations, mimics, mimicry, uh, all these different ways in which Kubo, because he cannot express a relationship to something, finds a way of expressing it by subverting it, changing it, altering it, and making symbols out of it. Yeah.
1: So that really anchors the first. So the first set piece of the film is a battle between the two sisters uh, and the mother that we believe, and actually, you know, prompts the. And this is a spoiler alert, so hands in or fingers in ears. Um, hands in ears, everyone. Hands in ears, fingers in No, don't in do ear. that.
0: Then we're yeah. going to get complaint letters about yeah. people having to go to A&E. Yeah,
1: know. and I'll, I'll also have to tick a button, the kind of you know, explicit was, content. Maybe
0: doctors, but we're not those kind of doctors. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um. <laughs> um, uh, yeah I can't help you. Yeah. So, uh, this sets the scene for the first set piece. It's the battle between the two sisters, these sort of villainous sisters. Um, Kubo is has gone against his mother's wishes and stayed out late uh, after dark, and so the two sisters Karasu and Washi are fighting um, Kubo, then the mother, Sariatu. Protects Kubo. Unfortunately, she 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 um she dies, and then you can take your fingers out of your ears now. Uh, and then Kubo wakes up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So the first set piece, this battle, um, we believe has caused the death of, of his mother. Kubo then wakes up in the middle of this sort of stormy, snowy, mm-hmm. blizzard mountain top type thing, um, and previously his. Uh, Lucky Charm, which was this sort of wooden monkey, quite a terrifying wooden monkey if I'm being brutally honest, um, starts to come to life and starts. So that's the first way I think that the trauma is being worked through, that this charm that was given to him by his family. As a sort of protectorate symbol, right? Um, uh, A a totem, in the case of him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. go to that inception route, uh, a totem has kind of come to life. So this is the first, actually the second act after the origami animals. This is the second act of of animation that the film undertakes. Um, And... In conjunction with that monkey charm that also speaks in the voice of his mother, so we're led to believe it's sort of the reincarnation of his mother, uh, played by Charlize Theron. Uh, that is the start of uh, quite a long and protracted journey narrative, really. And, and
0: the purpose of that journey like, is to, for him to to, to, to I can't exactly remember how they phrase it in the film, but to become, to, to, to acquire the ultimate armory, I think yes. is the words they use, right? And that involves. Uh, getting a sword that will never break, yeah. a suit of armor that will never yeah. uh, break, and a helmet yeah. that will never break. And again, it's this idea of protection, you know, of yeah. finding finding a way for there be, to be no pain and to be uh, mm. unable to be hurt. Uh, yeah. And and so he has to go on this sort of quest to find these three items and now and now anyone who's trying to struggle to get a handle on the narrative here we are we've got three quests rule of three off we go classic yeah. storytelling yarn uh,
1: and in terms of classic storytelling the first thing we see is an amnesiac samurai who's dressed as a beetle classic storytelling so, never, and we've never died we've, we've that all tro- been there <laughs> we've, yeah, yeah. that yeah. classic that classic <laughs>
0: well well-trodden
1: <laughs> narrative path yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so along that classic and this is you know the, the point of the journey is that actually what it does is it throws the protagonist. Yes, it throws the protagonist into a series of, of moments, but it allows the kind of conflict and, and between characters. And so, the, along the way, you know, along the way, Kubo and his mother, who we think has taken the form of a well, senti- monkey, as she, sentient as wooden monkey, monkey as
0: she is referred to throughout so we have, yeah. most of the film, and Beetle, who is um, a yeah. sort of samurai warrior who has connections with his father but has been robbed of his memory for some reason and transformed into this sort of half samurai half beetle thing so we
1: have so we have this sort of strange collection and if you you just tuned in one what have you been doing for the first half an hour but also you're about to hear an amnesiac beetle Mm -hmm. a mum who's a monkey a little origami figure that is taking the form of his uh, Kubo's father, Kubo himself, um, and then and then a, a range of kind of fantastical creatures that are there to prevent those characters from forming this kind of super armor.
0: So feeding into this, and one of the reasons why I'm sort of pursuing a more allegorical reading of this is that I think we talked about this a little bit with, um, a, well, not a, not another Japanese movie because this isn't a Japanese movie, but is a movie at least about Japan, Japan and Japanese yeah. storytelling culture. Um, when we talked about *My Neighbor Totoro*, um, about this idea of sort of hesitation and liminality in fantasy, yeah. that there is a there is a form of fantasy story that requires the viewer not necessarily to just get on with the process of accepting what they are seeing, but constantly uh, move between an ambiguous realm of of a world of fantasy and a world of dream and a world of reality. Um, and I think this film plays with that quite a bit. Yeah, th- I think that 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 dreamlike logic to its central uh, trio and there are quite a few lines where is this a dream yeah. uh, am i waking up yet if this isn't a dream can i have a dream instead you know all this kind of stuff so i think feeds into this idea that there is a certain there is a way of interpreting this movie in which the fantasy is uh, only skin deep mm. well that's that's so that that's interesting even then or, or at least the fantasy is more psychological than it is fantastical yeah. well, but
1: all, but also that fantasy is is you know the 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 facade of the beat, so the family members take on or assume these roles mm-hmm. that are, you know, and actually the two sisters wear masks, and that's that's some of the way that, that we find out that they themselves um, operate is that they have these these quite terrifying, um, quite quite gothic masks on, uh, very very scream like. Mm-hmm. So they have these masks, uh, but there's something around. This this idea that this, this stag beetle human hybrid in this case, so um, voiced we, by Matthew McConaughey. Yes, of, in, in the, a, in the,
0: a, the classic stag beetle human hybrid, voiced by the guy from Dazed and Confused. Yeah, uh,
1: this this is Magic Mike. Okay, <laughs> so he this this stag beetle that we are led to believe um, is Kubo's father's apprentice, or has at least worked with him, had a relationship. Um, they then set off and the first thing that they have to try and find is this in this sword. But um, no, I came to your point. I think the idea of uh, facade and an armor and protection and fa- that fantasy is something that you wear. Or, or it's something that you put up to protect. Well, or to... the whole the
0: whole quest is about obtaining a space yeah, exactly. of ultimate protection.
1: Yeah, and I'm wondering whether the the fantasy in the film therefore acts for Kubo as mm. as you know as that armor
0: protection from protection from yeah from trauma and yeah. from grief and from suffering.
1: Yeah. So the first thing on the list, the shopping list, um, is the sword unbreakable. The so sword the sword unbreakable. unbreakable, and this is probably my favourite set piece of the film, I think. And there are there are a few that connect up with the different parts of the armour, I think. But I think this is my favourite. So the Sword Unbreakable. So this takes place in the Hall of Bones, which is, which is already terrific. <laughs> um, and here we've got that sort of image of the, of the skeleton, which is something we looked at when we looked at um, Jason and the Argonauts uh, and this sort of army of, of the undead. And there is something about the role of skeletons, actually, and the skeleton model in this case that is posed as a threat or an obstacle. Um, and that's really the, the film's second set piece after the initial battle between the sisters and the mother and, and Kubo. This giant skeleton and they're trying to remove the sword on top of its head, I think. It's it's yeah. We think it's we think it's one thing but it's it's on top of the head. Um yeah, so I, I really like this scene because I thought it was very well very well kind of put together and, and actually all the way through I was thinking this is such an incredible stop motion film. Um, i would be interested to know a lot of the discourses around the film are to try and emphasize and this happens a lot with stop motion films that there is an emphasis on the people making it hunched over the desk or hunched over the studio with their cameras and they're working with these with these objects but i would be very surprised if parts of this weren't computer they must c- be, sure. they, they they must be but i i need to do a bit more research and and find out either why if so, why maybe has that been occluded from the production? We're actually more interested in, in the, the origami, the making yeah. and the, the, the discourse of making rather than the automatic. Um, so we have the first set piece, we have the or the, the, the first big set piece, the first set piece that relates to the, the armour, the, the sword unbreakable. Um, I've got to know about surrogate puppets. That there's lots of surrogate puppets in the film that are used to tell stories. to the at the very, very beginning, actually, the mother picks up the the monkey that she will ultimately be reincarnated as, and kind of does a little voice and so. There's something quite interesting about surrogate puppetry. Um, uh, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. Surrogate well, I, 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 think it,
0: I, I think again, it links to my point that sort of lots of things are about represent. When when the thing is too real, or the th- you know, mm. I think what is it? Lacan calls it the das Ding, which he basically means like the the thinginess of the thing. Yeah, the, the 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 quality of something that makes it beyond language and words and concepts. Yeah, when that becomes too much, it needs to be represented as something else.
1: So actually, in a film that's about relaying stories, mm-hmm. um, that seem it's also interested in. In how you represent something visually, or through surrogacy, or through through objects, which is again is is object anim- how you represent something through objects or images or metaphors or mm-hmm. allegories. That's really or a th- symbols or, or symbols. That, yeah. So this kind of object animation is fundamentally about signification mm-hmm. because it's taking on an object and trying to, literally, if you're an animator, move it in ways that connote something else. It's the it's the classic, and also. It is a pen and also, a but also something mm-hmm. else. Um, so we have the Sword Unbreakable. Second item uh, is the Breastplate Impenetrable, That's which, right, which yeah. rolls off the tongue. And this is the moment that you said, um, so this is the set piece that connects to the leaf boat. Yes, so this they, sky- have this,
0: they have to have a lot of voyage across this huge lake, and they do it by Kubo playing his guitar and assembling the sort of autumnal leaves surrounding the lake surface Wonderful. into this... Barge that they, they surface off on, um, then they're attacked by the, the sisters again, and it becomes a sort of sea chase yeah. uh, sequence, um, whilst trying to sort of capture this this thing. Yeah, which is great, really, really sort of um, beautiful and and impressive to look at, and uh, and then finally, so the final, I mean, if if. Um,
1: the sword uh, unbreakable.
0: all along the way, the monkey yeah. monkey and the beetle are sort of bickering. Yeah. Slowly you see a, fam- a family manner like like structure appearing. Yeah. He's very much um, wanting uh, Kubo to be given the opportunity to shine. She's very mm. much worried about protecting him. Uh, and they sort of have all these family squabbles. Um, yeah. and, and I don't think it is a plot twist. I think it's sort of a, a plot drip, a plot slow revelation because I, I don't think there's any moment of shock in it but obviously it becomes quite apparent that uh, if if these two fig creatures are not his parents they're certainly behaving a yeah. lot like his parents yeah. um, so it becomes sort of not that uh, shocking when as the narrative um, unfails we find out that obviously Monkey is a sort of representational reincarnation of his mother and Beetle is in fact his father warped changed altered and re- and and robbed of his memory and robbed of his ability to know his son and his wife when he sees them. So I quite
1: I think you're right it's it's, it's not a twist but what I think what it is it's, it's a nice kind of corrective to um, some work that's been written about the role of the journey, or the so um, Jack Halberstam's book *The Queer Art of Failure* has a a section on animated films and, and about characters who join up with other characters and bandies together and create these kind of mismatched collectives that are kind of surrogate families, but not quite, and and they're these kind of menagerie of toys and rats and bees, and uh, but they somehow create these kind of family structures, and this this kind of plays out a lot in in contemporary animation from anything Monsters University is a brilliant example that there are there's no parents but they kind of come together to form this cooperative that kind of functions like a family what I liked about Kubo is that it actually is the family um, and they don't know it yet but I think we yeah, as an audience member we we know and we, we are waiting for them to realise that actually there has been a, a kind of coming together yeah. of, the, of the family unit. So what I liked about it was that it it uses that journey narrative and that quest narrative to bring together an unlikely band of merry men and women. But actually, what it has done is inadvertently created uh, a kind of complete family unit. Yeah.
0: And given Kubo the opportunity to know his parents yeah. as they are as a unit, to understand which parts of his parents are in him and which parts... Yeah. He rebels against and and to give him time and space to sort of uh, be with these two people who are so important to his life, both in absence and in presence.
1: So after they found the breastplate, blessed. blessed oh, I can't even say it. This is. I was going to say, if if the um, sword unbreakable and the breastplate impenetrable just roll off the tongue. Sure. The final act is to find the helmet invulnerable. Nice. So I, this is, I guess, moving towards the climax of climax of the film. Uh, it starts to get a lot more kind of spectacular and violent but mm. well, there's a lot more kind of conflict. Um, we find out that the beetle is, is the father or the reincarnation of the father. Um, it appears that then the beetle is killed. I probably should have said spoiler alert. The beetle is killed. Uh, Monkey apparently sacrifices herself and then we're left with Kubo and the little model, little Hanzo, so the little model of the father um, that's made out of origami and that, that sets the scene for the final, final kind of climax or the yeah. final act. Where Kubo meets uh, Raiden. So Raiden is uh, the Moon King, the the, the kind of famous uh, Moon King. Kubo's grandfather, uh, and is revealed to be the main, I guess, puppet master.
0: And also uh, a character, I believe, in Mortal Kombat. But we'll just leave that there. Okay. Because there's nothing to riff on that. No, bit. no, no. But I've so, just remembered it. And, and when you're recording a podcast, Raiden. You remember something, Raiden, yes. Yeah, you remember, yeah, yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, used to fire there, lightning
1: and stuff. There are yeah. two people in the world that remember this. Great. <laughs> um, so we have Raiden. <laughs> oh, not oh, there's a future podcast street episode. Fighting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Street, fire and street Fighter. Street Fighter. If, if anyone would like to do that, <laughs> by all means. <laughs> yeah, what I like is that when we started talking about Raiden, the sound levels just rocketed because yeah, we got yeah, really yeah. excited. Anyway, we could
0: get Chris Lambert in to talk about being... Chris Lambert is the guy that plays Raiden in Mortal Kombat. He also was Highlander. Yes. And uh, and is crazy. So there we go. That's that's, beautiful. If anyone, any
1: listener knows Chris Lambert... If you're listening, Chris Lambert, uh,
0: do write in.
1: Yeah, (laughs) great. Great. Fantasy-animation.org. Anyway, uh, so Kubo meets yeah, Raiden. Yeah, his grandfather. Not who, the Raiden, no, but a oh, Raiden. A, Raid- a Raiden. One of the Raidens. One of the many Raidens. Um, uh, and then that's really kind of the final battle, really, is between Kubo. And that's really when Kubo realises uh, his power as storyteller, And, and I think
0: I, what I liked about the battle was there's this sort of Maleficent-type turn where he suddenly turns into a giant monster, which I've got to say yeah. wasn't as amazingly satisfying on a first view, but you got to give the sort of target audience what they want here, right? And he yep. turns into this sort of great big centipede monster thingy. Come dragon. Uh, yeah. Come dragon thing, yeah. Um, and then and then they battle and quickly it becomes clear that these items that we've spent the rest of the film collecting are pretty useless in the battle. They don't seem to work, they don't seem to keep, they don't seem to do what they're supposed to do, right? The, um, he isn't invulnerable and he isn't uh, susceptible and his grandfather basically is calling at him to um, give up this weak version of existence in favour of what he has, which is a world without beginnings, uh, without endings, Mm. uh, therefore without stories, but therefore without all the the drama and the the hurt that stories cause, because stories have to end, uh, and he doesn't, because he's this sort of immortal god uh, figure. Um, And then, uh, as the battle continues, what uh, Kubo realises, and what the sort of um, thematic revelation is, is that the thing that keeps him inv- invulnerable, and the thing that has keeps him grounded, and the things that allow him to defeat this character is memory and the power of memory, and memory are the stories that sort of bind all these things together, and that's the thing that gives him the shield. Is yeah, the memory.
1: So there's this climax kind of takes place in the kind of village cemetery, if you like, which is obviously a, a kind of charged place to to bring together the past and the, and the present. Um, and it's through that sort of symbolic gesture of twanging
0: the guitar that. Oh, and we should mention that the strings are of course. The courses. strings. How many he, how many he, strings are on that? Well, it has two, and he and sure. he creates the strings out of two um, basic like sort of memory bonds yeah. or friendship bracelets, essentially that he has for his father and his mother.
1: Yeah. Um. So the fi- the climax is is Cuba actually restringing a guitar, um, with his mother's hair his father's um, bowstring and his own hair as well so he restrings the guitar and he uses that in a kind of big gesture which again was very cocoa for me I'm you know a bit kind of um, strumming the guitar and suddenly all the spirits or the undead come together and that protects and, it, and it's the undead but it's not the undead it's, as you say it's, this, it's the symbolism of the memories um, so the undead represent not um, macabre reimagining no, no, no. so they, they represent well, the, memories the
0: the, the, the the version of the dead that are still alive in memory i guess yeah. is what they represent which again
1: is the in the narrative of Kokoro the the mm-hmm. the, yeah. the worry about uh, forgetting and actually it's on that note of forgetting that once um, the beat. so raiden a raiden not the raiden sure. has been dis- defeated Liu Kang
0: that was another mortal Kombat character he's not in this film If you're listening yeah yeah what's it, scorpion I don't know don't remember. That was a gladiator. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is Chris is looking at me like Alex. Stop naming Mortal Kombat characters <laughs> at, the, at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. Um, so so. The, the climax. I think the climax. So again, one of my favourite bits.
1: So one went. Raiden has been defeated. Uh, Turns back into. Basically a mortal again, but what's interesting is that a mortal who has lost his memory.
0: Very weird sequence then happens, right? In that we get this sort of moment where he is given a new story, yeah, identity and a new identity, and almost sort of it's memento, is what it is. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of um, tricked into being nice, and 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 like they give him this. He's the kindest man in the village, and he's uh, they tell him all about his philanthropic deeds, and he sort of settles into this new role. well and, and sort of you know yeah i don't know
1: what that means it's very when it,
0: strange because it's kind of sinister at the same time yeah. as being um, on point with the themes of the movie which is that the mem- your memory defines you and your memory makes you yeah so
1: there's something you know the the act of compassion both the act of compassion on the part of the audience who are retelling the story back to Raiden and sort of saying that you are you are yourself a compassionate man yeah. is an interesting thing because it it takes the villain of the piece and and sort of disregards it, dilutes it, and throws it back. And and so there's something,
0: yeah. There's something. But it's it's also, it's, it's, you know, what it's sort of also saying is that compassion comes from memory. Yeah. That it's only our attachments to the world that makes us compassionate moving forward. And it doesn't world. matter
1: if you used to be a moon beast. Sure. You can. Well, I think that that's
0: a universal theme for us all to think about yeah. as we. If you along, are so
1: a moon yeah. beast. So yeah, there's so that like last sort of. The villagers and the audience—the you know, idea of the spectators of the piece—are are throwing back the identity that Raiden once had, and sort of saying you have a uh, you are much more positive because he can't remember, uh, and that reinscribes his that kind of reanimates him in a different way. Um, and then it's only then, and this is the final. So the final shot was, and I wouldn't say trouble, but it's it's sort of.
0: I found it bittersweet. Yeah, I think
1: that's a good. One. So it's the final shot when when Kubo has. Is able to, to communicate with his parents. Again, don't forget, you know that the part of the reason that he stayed out so late after dark was his failure to communicate with his father right at the start. Um, he's now able to talk to his um, the spirits of his parents, which is is terrific at this Bond James Bond ceremony. Um, And the final shot is the three together. So the the Kuba, his mother and his father.
0: And it's clearly represented that they are the memories of his mother. Yeah, because they're slightly kinda
1: transparent. They're ghost like, they're slightly transparent. And so it is it is a positive image because it is the unification. Actually the first time we see the father as as not a amnesiac samurai beetle. Um again, at last. But what's interesting is that yeah, that sort of dilution or the transparency of those two characters makes that bittersweet that we have the reunification of the family. Well, well it's but the, the ex- fantasy of ex- the family. has... Well, it's,
0: it's the ex- it's the acceptance, right, that they are gone but not gone, and that um, as they are not as symbols, they yeah. are that he's re- yeah. the re- the, the symbols are gone, and, and what is left is is the their loss, but a yeah. uh, sort of reconciled loss. So it's not it's not yeah. better. Um, there's a line in the movie about like things being better when they're told... Well, why not tell a better story than yeah. this? It's like, well, this isn't a better story, but it's a story with an ending, at least. And therefore, it's a story yeah. that doesn't need retelling over and over yeah, again.
1: Yeah, there's a line in the... Uh, I think... I can't remember who says it, but it's, uh, give the story a happy ending. Which is ironic, because the film does and doesn't do yeah. that. It doesn't follow... It kind of doesn't sing from the same... Well, pushy. it redefines
0: what happy means, right? In the, yeah. it, it sort of... It accepts that happy has to mean um, something... Has to mean something in relation to the story. Okay. And mean, it's almost like a pot shop at Disney, right? In that it's sort of saying happiness mm. can't it can't come at the expense of the story that has been told. Yeah. Um, and this story requires this ending. This is the happiest ending for this story. So it's
1: it's not about beginnings and endings in the same way. You know, that the film begins, but not with the perhaps the first events, and we get a repetition of the story being told, and it ends. In a slightly, as you said, bittersweet way, but it's really about yeah, the, the, what makes a good story and how how one organizes information into a a series of stories that can then be retold. And I guess and what relayed. it says
0: about that is that what makes a good story is a story that provides comfort and and a sense of conclusion to yeah. those that listen to it.
1: So what? So it, it, I guess the question, the kind of concluding question before we talk about while my guitar gently weeps that plays <laughs> over the credits, uh, is then the role of fantasy in this? That the fantasy, the last shot is the. Is the sort of illusory nature of of the reconciliation of the family, you know? and so in this case, the role of fantasy is for Kubo to act out, enact, play with grief and trauma, and, and it seems to be fantasy. And we've talked about this, you know, fantasy is a as a mode, a medium, a genre, whatever is rife for these kinds of metaphorical yeah. interpretations. Um, it can be close,
0: but not too close, and yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, well, there we go. Close, but not yeah, <laughs> close, yeah. but not too close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there we go. I think
0: that's. A, I mean, I'm. I'm. I think we've, we've, uh, I'm in love with the film more than I was. I liked was, it. I, think. I liked yeah. it a lot. I think. I think it's a film that I could say more about yeah. with more time to process on it, and it has got me thinking about a lot of things in terms of self reflexivity. That is, a, which you know is a recurring theme on this podcast. I know, but I think. I think we will. I think we will ponder on this more, and I might have something more articulate to say this time. But I think. Uh, write what, a blog post <laughs> what, yeah well maybe 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 I will or if someone else is out there and feels like they could write a better one than do yeah. get in contact um, but for now though I think we have plucked the two yeah. strings uh, yeah, we, and we, uh, we have plucked <laughs> so we are stringless we, we are, are stringless. stringless a puppet without uh, a string. the moon gods have gone back into their domain and and, and it's time to put this to bed uh, at least temporarily yeah. uh, so thanks very much for um, coming on the journey with us and we'll see you next time bye the love there that's sleeping, while my guitar gently reads. I look
1: at the floor.